So if you have ever noticed that you might feel um, out of place as a Christian in our culture, or if you feel like the culture doesn't always support your beliefs as a Christian, you need this series. The Bible speaks a lot about what it means to be exiled and how to live uh, in a place that isn't powerful. Get in a group before January 7th. Please stand and let's uh, sing together.
everybody uh, today. Happy New Year. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, Pastor Nate is getting a much deserved uh, day off today, so you got to sing out. Uh, we need you to, uh, to all join in and sing. Um, you know, as we look forward to the new year, and I can't believe New Year's Eve, I was just talking to somebody this morning, I think Chaz was saying, it seems like just a week ago that it was uh, beginning of 2023. Now we're moving into 2024. And with the new year, I think always comes a lot of hope. Um, I have to say with this new year, there's hope. There's also, yeah, there's a little anticipation, I think, to see what will happen. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world, in our country, maybe in your families uh, around. There's a lot that will happen in 2024. And what gives me hope is that in Christ alone, my hope is found. And that's what we're going to sing next. I think we can always be confident um, that God has all of this in his hands. So let's sing this together in Christ alone. My hope is found. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter. My all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. in life, no fear in death, 
This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. I find my home, I find my hell in Christ alone. When fear assails, when darkness fails, I find my peace in Christ alone.
mountain rainbows of living color flashes of lightning rolls of thunder and honor strength and glory and power be to you can go ahead and have a seat. We are so grateful for the gifts God has given um, our church body, such as y'all uh, who do such a fantastic job uh, leading, leading us in worship. Um, we are grateful. Um, we're also grateful for people like Sujana, so I'm going to invite her on up here. Sujana, if you um, are new this week and haven't seen her before, she um, is one of our church members leads our deaconess ministry, and she, on her own, pioneered Much Hope, which is an organization which helps mobilize us to serve our community um, in many ways. And so the holiday season has given us many opportunities to serve in our community. So Sujana, can you give us kind of an update of what Much Hope has been up to this month and also how we can be praying uh, 
for you and your organization as we head into 2024. Thank you, Dan. And like Dan was saying, yes, we've all been very busy and busy at Much Hope, busy on our own, but um, we've done a lot of things through Much Hope in the past two months. Starting with Thanksgiving, we had the Thanksgiving outreach where we provided a holiday meal, backpacks, and um, we took a, the holiday meal and served a sit-down dinner for the first time in an East Palo Alto shelter. And many of you served in many different ways. This couldn't have happened without you. All those turkeys that were baked at home and brought over, all that holiday meal, all the hands that went, went in to put this together wouldn't have happened without you. And the students at LSES made um, Thanksgiving cards and Thanksgiving posters with scriptures. And then going into Christmas, a group of us came together and made 250 scarves on a morning. And then that same afternoon, we packed more than 200 gifts for little kids and about 150 goodie bags for all the adults. And then we cooked that weekend. And all of us took it over to the Sunnyvale Homeless Shelter. And at the shelter, Pastor Nate led the carol singing, and Pastor Steve led cookie decorating. And you would be amazed at how excited these grown men and women were to show off their decorated cookies. And Pastor Dan shared a message about delight. And that touched quite a few hearts there. Uh, one particular person was a young uh, Middle Eastern lady who, uh, due to some unfortunate reasons, ended up in the shelter. And she talked at length, and she said she wants to know more about this light. Maybe that is the light that's going to help her get back on track. So the seeds have been sown. And many, many different ways. We did all this along with supporting the local shelters with our regular dinners. And I have this particular picture of this gentleman at the East Palo Alto shelter, and he's holding a card made by uh, the LACS students. And that card has scripture because we are called to help the needy, but above all, we are called to make disciples of all nations to the ends of the world, starting with our own neighborhoods. And when we go serve food, give them gifts, give them clothes, the main goal is to point them to the biggest gift of all, share the good news with them. And we do it through cards with scripture, we do it through being obedient and intentional to the Holy Spirit's nudges, to talk to them, pray with them. And this particular gentleman, when he got that card with a verse from Romans, um, some of you were there with me when we gave this card to him, and he started crying. And he went to a corner, he pulled out his journal, and started writing this, this verse again and again and again. And he said he's in a very dark place, but something about the scripture is very powerful. And the seed has been sown. Now it's up to the Holy Spirit how this um, pro progresses, but the seed has been sown. And the word is the living word. It doesn't return void. So he's meditating on the word, and what more do we need, right? So going forward, we plan to continue what we are doing and be obedient to the doors God may open for us as we go along. We will continue serving at the local shelters. We'll continue serving at the camps. We will continue um, sharing with the um, farm workers. 
And um, the dinner services will continue on in January, but in February we'll have sneakers for all the kids in shelters and camps. We started doing this a couple of years ago, and it makes a big impact on these children to stay motivated and focused in school. And that could be breaking the cycle for some of these families. So these are some of the ways that we will continue serving, but we are always open to the doors God will open for us to be there serving him in his name. Thank you. Thanks, Sujana. Um, right. Let me pray for you right now. Um, Father, we're so grateful for Sujana and her efforts um, in much hope serving our community. We pray for these open doors, that you would open more, that you would make it obvious where uh, her, her or organization should reach and serve. Um, Lord, we pray for more touched hearts. We pray for the people who she's interacted with this holiday season, that these seeds would grow um, and produce seeds of their own, Lord. Uh, we give thanks um, for you, to you for all these things and look forward to what you'll do next. Pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, well, it is now my pleasure to introduce to you um, our former lead pastor, Dave Gudgel, who comes, who's gracious enough to come uh, preach occasionally for us. So come on up here, Dave. Um, he's my friend. He still speaks into my life in many ways, and we are always so grateful when you come back um, and offer what God has been on your heart. Um, so please welcome Thanks, Dave Matt. Gudgel. Thank you. Well, it's always great to come back. You know, I was looking back at the calendar of 2023, and actually I had the privilege of preaching on January 1st, 2023. So here it is, December 31st, 2023. So you never know, you know, uh, kind of fun to begin the year with you and end the year with you. And I thought today that we would talk about something that's a big focus right now in our world, but especially here in the United States, there's a lot of attention being given right now to our identity, our identity. Now, you've heard of the real identity thing, right? There's big push by the federal government, and it's actually been a 20-year push. It began in the aftermath of 9-11, but the whole push has been on to bring improved measures of security and safety to flights in the United States and to federal buildings in the United States, and this nationally accepted ID that we're all being pushed to get by a certain date. Now, by the way, this date was going to be like really soon, but it continues to be pushed back. If you're familiar uh, with what's happening now, the date where we need a real identity is by May 6th, 2025. So you don't have to know who you are until May 6, 2025 now, and it may get another, you know, push out there somewhere, but the whole point of this is that you're not going to be able to fly after May 6, 2025 without this new identity, with this real identity. And in the same way, uh, but in a different way, there's a, a real push right now for uh, a person's real identity when it comes to who they are as a person and even as a nation, there's, there just seems to be a lot of personal and national confusion. You can almost call it an identity crisis in some ways. And this identity crisis is producing a lot of things such as anxiety, depression, major mood swings, feelings of insecurity, detrimental decisions that have led people to uh, 
changed a number of things in their lives. It's impacting people physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And so with all that going on, I thought, you know, what do you talk about here at the end of the year, at the end of 2023? And I thought, you know, it would be good before we get into 2024, you know, in less than 24 hours from now. I thought it would be good to focus on this matter of identity and a life-giving, life-changing, healthy identity. What does it look like? And the matter comes into focus in the Gospel of John where John reveals Jesus' identity and then he talks about the privileged identity that's given to those that Jesus adopts into his family. And with all that's being said right now about one's identity, I really think that what John says in his gospel account can change our outlook on our personal lives and our life as a nation. And so, I believe that our real identity will impact all of us, especially as it concerns who we are and what we become. And so, John wrote about this in his opening words in John chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you might want to turn there, your digital device or whatever you might use. I put the passage on the message notes that were out there in the lobby. But in John 1, just looking at verses 10 to 13, this is what we're told. He, speaking of Jesus, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now, as you can see here, John identifies three groups of people that are either given or not given the right to become children of God, which is a very, very important matter. You may have heard somebody say, everyone is a child of God. A couple weeks ago, I heard two Christian leaders say, yes, everyone is a child of God. And I ask you, as we look at this passage, to ask yourself, is that statement true? Is every human being a child of God? God's answer is found in this passage. And for clarity's sake, what I want to do is I just want to give three names to the three groups that John speaks about in these four verses. So let's call these three groups the could'ves, the should'ves, and the did's. You want to repeat that with me? So we're going to talk about the who, the could'ves, the should'ves, and the did's. Now, the could'ves are talked about in verse 10. And simply said, the could'ves failed to see Jesus' true identity. So when Jesus came into the world as a human being, these people did not recognize That he was more than just another human being. That he was and he is, as John says, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And as 
They were living at the time of Jesus, as you can see in verse 10, when Jesus was in the world and these people were in the world, they had a unique opportunity to not only see him, but perhaps ask him questions, have a conversation with him, hear him speak. I mean, can you imagine the incredible advantage that this group of people had to be living at the same time in the same place or close to God incarnate in the flesh? Men and women, young and old, rich and poor, all kinds of people in the first century had the opportunity to see and to hear for themselves firsthand Jesus' message of light and life in the midst of a world that was filled with darkness and death, which we're still stuck in in some ways. And so they had this rare privilege they had to have known that something was different, something was unique, something was compelling about Jesus. They may have seen him and recognized that, or they very least heard about Jesus was teaching and all the impossible things that he was doing. Like when he healed the lame and the blind, or he calmed life-threatening storms on the Sea of Galilee, or he freaked people out when he walked on the water of the Sea of Galilee, or like when he turned water into wine at a wedding and everybody was very, very happy about that. At another time and location, he made an incredible claim to a religious group of people who were on the verge of taking Jesus out. And by taking him out, they weren't going to take him out for ice cream. It was a whole different thought in their minds. Jesus said to them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Well, that got their attention, but it also got them confused. I mean, they couldn't understand that. In fact, they took what he said literally, and they said, well, this building took 46 years to erect, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? I don't think so. That last part I added in, but... I don't think they thought that that could ever happen. And of course, Jesus wasn't talking literally. He was talking figuratively, but actually he was talking about another building. He was talking about his body that would be killed and three days later would come back to life. And, and that happened. It happened in such a way that people could have concluded that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the maker of heaven and earth. That was the conclusion that John came to after having seen all that Jesus did and all that he said, so much so that at the outset of this gospel account, John chapter 1 and verse 3, John, as he writes, right here at the beginning of this account, he writes, through him, and again, speaking here about Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's John's answer to an age-old question. What's the age-old question? Who made the heavens and the earth? The answer Jesus. That belief changed John's life, and now John then writes this gospel account with the intention of helping people recognize, notice the word recognize there in verse 10, helping people recognize that Jesus is who he said he was. I mean, hopefully we begin to move in that direction just by looking around and seeing all that has been created because creation, as Dan mentioned a couple of weeks ago, creation is a huge clue from our creator 
that points to the fact that there is a creator behind what has been created. I mean, it just makes sense, right? That if you see something that's been created, there's a creator behind the creation. And what Jesus did and what Jesus said pointed to not only his work as a creator, but his redemptive work to bring people back into a personal relationship with God. The tragedy is, is that the world failed to see Jesus' true identity, his real identity. They failed to see him for who he truly is, God the Son, the creator of all things, the source of eternal life. Now, you know what? To this day, we human beings often fail to see people as they truly are. To see their worth, their value for who they truly are. Case in point, Brock Purdy. Are you familiar with the name Brock Purdy? He plays quarterback. He plays quarterback in the NFL. He plays quarterback on a football team that's just down the road from here. The San Francisco 49ers. And Purdy is getting a lot of attention these days because of how well he has been doing as a starting quarterback of the 49ers. People are recognizing now that Purdy is an incredible quarterback with incredible skills. In fact, he has had a significant part in the winning season that the 49ers are enjoying right now. They have 11 wins and four losses, which means they are the number one seed in the NFC, National Football Conference. Even though Purdy had a bad game on Monday night. And I don't know if you were a part of that or saw what happened or read about it. I mean, like he threw four interceptions and everybody's freaking out over that. But he's still, Brock is still knocking on the door of the greatest single season passer, passer rating in NFL history. The one who holds that rating got it in 2011. His name is Aaron Rodgers. And so Purdy's being compared to people like Aaron Rodgers, and in many ways, Purdy's story is a Joseph story. Remember Joseph, who's written about in the book of Genesis? Remember how Joseph's story was a from the pit to the palace story? How Joseph was ignored, and he was belittled, and he was passed over. In fact, in the 2022 draft, that's what happened to Purdy. There were 262 players selected in the draft. Purdy was passed over 261 times. He was picked last in the 262 people, the players that were picked. That means he was passed over by 32 teams through seven rounds of drafts. And he was the last player selected in the seventh and the last round of the draft. And the reason San Francisco picked him was because they needed a third quarterback in case something happened to their starting quarterback and their backup quarterback. And so they, what do you say on this? They threw a Hail Mary and picked Purdy. 262. Do you know what the last player in the draft is labeled that person is labeled Mr. Insignificant. So Mr. Insignificant was picked, 
And they had no idea how much they would need him and what he's turned out to be because they didn't recognize the potential that he had. I mean, they had some inkling that maybe we'll see, but Mr. Insignificant now has kind of got a name change. He's being called by, oh, thank you, God, for Mr. Significant, who's now a part of the San Francisco 49ers. And you know what? There are a whole lot of scouts out there that didn't recognize his talent. They passed him up, and they are wishing that Purdy was on their team. They're dealing with the could-haves. When Jesus came on the scene... There are all these signs and all these indicators for people to see and conclude Jesus is God. Jesus is God incarnate. This is somebody special. This is the maker of heaven and earth. This is the giver of new life, of eternal life. A few saw that, but most missed that. And most missed out on what could have been like hearing firsthand him talk about how things were created. Oh, would you not have loved to have been there at that time and been able to say to him, Jesus, can you like straighten this out for us? Did you create the heavens and the earth in 24-hour days, like, you know, six days and rested on the seventh? Or were these in periods of, could you just, periods of time, could you just straighten that out for us? Just imagine the conversations you could have had with the Lord. If you had any inkling of the value and the worth that he had and still has. But the biggest thing here is you would have missed out. You missed out on becoming a child of God because you failed to see and to believe and to recognize that Jesus is the Savior of the world. The could-haves failed to see Jesus' true identity. People still do that today. It's a common trait. The should-haves rejected Jesus as their promised Messiah. John 1.11 says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The should-haves were God's chosen people, his own. Notice those two words that are used twice. His own. His own did not welcome Jesus into their lives. We're talking about the Israelites. The Israelites that have spent their whole lives up to this point in time, since the days of Abraham, watching and waiting and hoping and praying for the Messiah that God had promised to send through Abraham's family tree, that family tree that included Isaac and Jacob and Judah, and you go on down the line, and Obed and Jesse and David, this is the King David, and all the way till you come ultimately to Christ who is in that line. And the sad thing is, of all the people in the world, I mean, in some ways you can kind of understand the general public, public that were indifferent to Jesus, but this is the response of his own, which is utterly tragic. His own people, the Jewish people, Israel, the Israelites, Abraham's children, God's people, God's chosen people, the people of the Lord God Almighty. Moses called them out as the children of the Lord God, Deuteronomy 14.1, God's treasured possession, Deuteronomy 14.2. In other words, of all the people of the world, the should-haves should have recognized him, but they didn't. And that's just hard to imagine in some ways, that God's people would disown, reject, 
turn their back on the one that they had talked about and waited centuries for, their Messiah, their Savior, the one that they should have, as John is saying here, they should have received, but they did not receive him. This word receive means to take hold of. It means to hold on to, to obtain, to grasp. It means to embrace. You get the picture of an embrace. They didn't extend an umbrella of hospitality to Jesus. They didn't give Jesus a warm welcome. They didn't kill the fatty calf and throw a party in his honor and make him feel at home, give him the keys to the city. They did none of that. What they did instead was like their ancestors treated God and God's servants before. They hardened their hearts. They stiffened their necks toward God by rejecting the Messiah and his claims. They said that he did what he did by the power of Satan. They said that he was possessed by demons that he was insane, that he was delusional, that he was a liar, that he was a fraud, that he was a God blasphemer. Of all the people, they should have received Jesus. It should have been the religious crowd. Don't you think? But how did the crowd of religious people respond? Well, among other things, by screaming words like these found in Matthew 27, verses 23 and 25. They said, crucify him. His blood shall be on us and our children. Who said those words? These are the people that were most steeped in religion. They of all people should have accepted him, but they rejected him. Why? Because Jesus did not look like, teach like, or act like what they thought the Savior, the promised one, would say and do. They thought that he would come and put an end to Rome by killing off the powers that be and everybody else that stood in the way of them experiencing the self-made religious and man-made way of doing life that they enjoyed. They wanted a savior on their own terms. They were not looking for a savior that spoke about denying yourself daily, taking up your cross daily, and following the ways of the Lord. They were not looking for a Savior who was talking about humility and sacrifice and servanthood and self-denial. None of that was on their godliness list. And you know what's sad about this is when you think about it, you kind of would understand then why Jesus, when he thought about Jerusalem, uh, in essence, said things like what we find in Matthew chapter 23, 37, where Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I can go off on this for a long time because we're living on a farm where we got 25 chickens. And we see how much the chicks love to be gathered under the wings, the feathers of a hen, the mother hen. In our case, even brooding hens, but that's another whole story. They gather under there gladly, eagerly, because of the protection and the warmth. And Jesus is saying here, we've been trying for years. I've been trying. But you refuse to be gathered under our wing. 
You were not willing to receive me as your Lord and Savior. The chosen ones. The ones entrusted, entrusted with the very word of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 2 says. So it's no wonder Jesus was grieved. Just like a Christian parent is grieved when the children that they've raised in their home turn their back on God. And they turn their back on God's son, the Savior, Jesus. After all the years of prayers, after all the years of family devotions and going to church together and children's and youth programs and camps and retreats and service projects and even getting baptized, you'd think that they would love Jesus with all of their heart, their Lord and Savior. It's no wonder it can be devastating for parents and for families when kids, but especially family members, turn their back on God and take the path of doing what is right in their own eyes. You know, there are only two paths here. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 talks about how oftentimes people take this path of what seems right. It says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it, it leads to death. So oftentimes, that's what happens. People take the seems right path instead of the path that is right. The seems right path turns a deaf ear to God and his will for our lives and inserts our own will above God's will. And what Solomon is saying here in Proverbs 14, 12 is that path, if you take that path, you need to know that that path leads to death. The other path, the path that is right, embraces God's ways. It takes hold of God. It walks in the ways of the Lord. It walks on the path of life. It eagerly and intentionally receives God's will and God's way for life. It does not do what God's own did, which is reject Jesus Christ and his ways. And when they rejected Jesus Christ in his way, they took the, the path of death physically, spiritually, relationally, mentally, death. In spite of all of the advantages and privileges that God had for them, if they would only walk in truth in a dark world. You know, when that outcome plays out now in the lives of religious people, it, it's, it's utterly tragic. Especially now because of the massive amount of teaching that's available to us that was not available to the Israelites in their day. I mean, yes, they had sufficient information. They had the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. But now we've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have record after record of Jesus' teachings and how his teachings were applied personally and in the early church and beyond. And we have books and books and podcasts and more than that to answer our questions and teach us about the Lord. Some of the best teaching ever is available to us, especially through the internet. We have God's word in every form. We have it in translations now that we can understand we could read and say, I get this. It's in my own language. If God's own should have got it, even more so now that religious people should get it. Especially now that Jesus is the promised Messiah and he longs to have an eternal relationship with each one of us. Which brings us to the third group that John focuses on. The dids, the dids, those who did become children of God. 
Those who became children of God, yet to all, verse 12, who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. This is the group that recognizes Jesus for his true worth, and they received him as the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. They took Jesus at his word. They didn't push him away, but instead they took hold of him, received. They took hold of him so as to never let go. And the picture that comes to mind is this scene that we're told about in the gospel accounts where it's after Jesus' death and resurrection and he's begun to make these post-resurrection appearances and he comes to a group of women. And this group of women, after they find out it's Jesus, clasped, they clasped Jesus' feet and they worshiped him. And one of them evidently clung to Jesus so that she was not going to let go. And Jesus had to say to her, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to let go because I got a few more things to do. I got a visit to heaven to make. That's the picture. Their actions indicated the opposite of what their countrymen perhaps demonstrated through their actions. These women would not want, didn't want Jesus in any way to get away from them. Instead of rejecting him, they received him. They held on with all of their might, which is indicative of a child of God. A child of God who, as John says here, who by belief in Jesus' name is adopted into God's family. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but what does it mean to believe In Jesus' name. What is that? It means to believe in qualities and the character that mark Jesus for who he is. It's to embrace his claims and his teaching. That he's the Lord God. The Lord God Almighty. That he is the Savior of the world. It's to trust him for salvation. It means to embrace Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And John comes back to that matter. If you want to get off to a good start in one of the gospel accounts, read through John here in the book of January, and you're going to find, and I encourage you to just count how many times the word belief or believing is used in John, and you're going to find it's somewhere in proximity of a hundred times. A hundred times John comes back to this whole matter of belief. That we come to God through Christ by belief. With not the kind of belief that's just intellectual belief. Oh yeah, I believe that. But this is a kind of belief that impacts your heart and your soul and your mind. It's receiving Jesus and embracing him in his real identity. In his true identity. To truly believe that he is the savior of the world. That I cannot save myself that I am separated from God by my sin. But God has demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what we could not do for ourselves, God did for us through the substitutory, substitutory, excuse me, sacrifice, I'll just say that, substitutionary, there we go, sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when we receive that sacrifice, we are cleansed of all of our sins. Titus 3, 5, 
He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's not because we did a bunch of good things. It's because God did one thing, and that one thing that he did for us ultimately was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to give his life on the cross for our sins. You know, several years ago, I spoke to Jim Stump, who used to be a chaplain, so to speak, to the men's varsity uh, football team over at Stanford, and the men's tennis team, and the men's baseball team. And Jim spent over 40 years there witnessing to those athletes, sharing his faith with them. He saw many of them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I once asked him as I was here ministering in this area, I once asked him, Jim, you know, uh, these smart students, it must be a challenge, right, to help them come to faith in Christ. I mean, what is the biggest challenge when you're trying to help them believe in Jesus Christ? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, it's that. It's just them coming to understand the simplicity of what the call to salvation is. It's to believe. It's to believe in the name of Jesus. It's to believe that he is the Savior, that he is the Messiah. It's to trust in him alone for salvation. It's to receive him as one's Savior and Lord. That's the hardest thing. And when that happens, of course, that is a work of God. And John actually speaks about that when he says that these people who believe in his name are given the right to become children of God. You don't get the right to become a child of God, which is to say, you're not a child of God unless you've come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. You may be an offspring of God. Acts chapter 17, I think it is. Paul talks about that there. He calls unbelievers who have a connection to God, offspring of God, but he doesn't call them children of God. If you want to be a child of God, you kind of got to come to the place of being saved by God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And these children who become are given the right to become a child of God are children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but they are born of God. I want you just to notice that, verse 13. Not natural descent by racial or ethnic heritage, by blood descent, you know, like by being a descendant of Abraham and therefore you're good, you're now in God's family forever, or Billy Graham or any other noteworthy person. God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters who come to faith in Jesus and are adopted into his family. And it's not, you see here, but by human decision, it's due to, you know, your plans and your intelligence and your personal self-effort. You can't earn a place into God's family, into God's kingdom like, like kingdom like you can earn a place into a college of your choice. And it's not by the will of a man or a husband's will. You can see here in verse 13, a husband and his wife who decide they're going to have a baby, and so they do. Well, this coming into God's family is not the result of human desire and planning. Whereas birth into a human family is due to the work of a man and woman, birth into God's family is due to the work of who? Of God. We don't birth ourselves into God's family any more than we could birth ourselves into the Gudgel, Stockham, or Bezos family. Not that you would want to. 
But those who become a child of God are birthed into God's family through belief in Jesus Christ. With, and, and belief, by the way, without the work of God to give us the desire to believe, to, to believe, nobody's born into God's family. No one's, not even God's own, not even God's own children, the Israelites. Remember the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus? Nicodemus was trying to sort this whole thing out. Jesus said, let me, let me make it clear to you, you've got to be born again. If you want to be in my family, you've got to be born again. I know you're a member of the house of Abraham. I know you have a Jewish heritage, but that's not going to save you. You need to be born again spiritually into God's forever family, the family of God. And for that to happen and for you to receive the right to become a child of God, you need to believe in Jesus' name and receive Jesus for who he is, as Savior and Lord. Anyone who believes and receives Jesus in that way, John says, becomes a child of God. They're birthed into God's family. And as a child of God, they're given the rights and the privileges of God's children, which includes a new identity. Now, just let that sink in. Anyone who is saved in Jesus is given a new identity. That's not just something for us to know. That's something that we need to be transformed by. If you're a child of God, you need to know and live in light of your new identity. Who are you? Well, you're a child of God, John 1.12 tells us. You've been chosen by God and adopted into his family. You're a new person. You've been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. You are a citizen of heaven, and we're just getting started. You're a member of Christ's body, the church. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. You're gifted by God to serve. You are God's workmanship, and that word workmanship could be translated masterpiece. He designed and created you as a masterpiece. Now, if we were to just dwell on this identity, if you're a follower of Christ and you're a child of God, if you're just to dwell on this identity, do you think it would make a difference today? Do you think it might transform our, our thinking, how we view ourselves? This identity needs to transform our thinking, what we think about, how we feel. Now, let me just summarize then what I've said this way. For the first 2,000 years of human history, from Adam to Eve, to the call, from Adam and Eve to the call of Abraham, and, and all of humanity, we were all on equal footing, we might say, before God. He desired to have a relationship with each person. Each one could have a relationship with God if they recognized the creator through all the evidence that he had placed in the world and in their hearts. Everyone could have, they could have come to him, but most didn't. For the next 2,000 years, God's primary focus was on the Jews, his chosen people. He promised to bless the whole world through them. He promised to send the Messiah through their line. They should have recognized him and come to him, but most didn't. 
And now we're in the past 2,000 years. For the past 2,000 years since Jesus lived right here on earth, everyone once again has been on equal footing before God, and God still desires to have a relationship with each one of us. Nothing has changed. God wants each one of us to know who we were meant to be. And who are we meant to be? Well, John tells us, children of God, through belief in Jesus' name, with all the rights and all the privileges that come to those who have been birthed into God's family, children of God who are living out their true identity through the power and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And so my encouragement to you today, as we're turning over into a whole new year, as things come and things are going to change in so many different ways, my encouragement to you in this new year is that you would remember who you are meant to be. That you are meant to be a child of God. That collectively we are meant to be children of God. And may you experience that and live that out in your new identity as you continue to trust your maker and savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for this wonderful time to share together in the scriptures and to be reminded again that you love us, that you desire a relationship with us, and that you made a way. And you made a way through your son. And Lord, we pray that if there is anybody here, even this morning, that is yet to be adopted into your family through belief in your, your son's name and who he is. God, if they have not yet come to that place, we pray that even today might be the day of salvation for them. That they would believe in Jesus with their mouth with their heart, with, and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Receive him and begin a new life in Christ. And those of us who already have this life, Father, may we live in our identity, our identity in Christ. May we walk in ways that bring honor and pleasure to you, and may our lives be shaped by that identity in every way. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave, for those encouraging words. Let's stand together and uh, sing about the amazing grace that, that uh, gives us this identity in Christ.
singing that first verse together again. I think you all know that. We may have the words up as well, but let's just sing that. Just all the voices uh, raised. Amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. voices coming at me. Thanks for having us do a little acapella there, Mike. You can sit down for just a second. Um, if you have a phone, I want you to take it out. We all need practice with this, uh, the way that we give information at Bridges. And I want you to go open up uh, one of your web browsers on your phone and go to bridges.info. You just type in bridges, period, info, go. It's not bridges.info.com. It's not bridges.com.info. It's just bridges.info. 
dot info go um, or if you're really savvy you can open your camera and that up there is a QR code and if you focus your camera over the QR code it will take you straight there if it doesn't work let us know we got to try this out every once in a while this is your source of where you get all the happenings uh, that are going on at Bridges and as we enter into uh, 2024 you'll see information on there about our 40-day focus which is starting in one week if you're not in a group we would love for you to get into a group so you can be discussing uh, this content uh, that we're putting a special emphasis on for uh, six weeks um, how to live in a culture that doesn't really feel like home. You will also see uh, on bridges.info ways to give. And this is, of course, the last day to give uh, in 2023. December is often a month uh, in which we catch up um, on our budget and we still need to. So if God has landed it on your heart to contribute to our ministries here um, and you want to take advantage of a 2023 tax donation, this is the day to do it, and you can do it on bridges.info, or you can give in the boxes on, in, bolted to the back wall back there. Well, thank you to our music team up here, and Dave, thank you for uh, your rich message pointing us to our identity in Christ. Um, as we head into the new year, may God uh, bless you richly um, with every spiritual blessing that comes from him. Happy New Year, everyone, and we'll see you next week for our 40-day focus.